All right. Good morning, Mercy Hill. And uh, my name is Nate. If you're new with us, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got the privilege of teaching God's Word this morning. Thank you so much for uh, ladies leading us in worship this morning. And uh, those are some of my favorite songs. Uh, I cannot wait for everybody to come back together. A couple encouraging things happened this week. First of all, I want to thank everybody uh, for all the messages and happy birthday wishes and gifts and the, the parade. I uh, really lifted up my spirits this week, so I really appreciate that. Also, uh, hopefully you can see us a little bit clearer. We've got a new camera, and uh, I, I really looking, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to see one another face-to-face, hopefully here sooner than later. It looks like March 20th is, or May 20th is the date that the, the governor has put out to allow churches to come, at least at some, in some capacity, to come back together. And so the first Sunday would be May 24th. And so Perry and I are going to be talking and, and we'll be sharing and communicating our game plan moving forward and what that's going to look like when we do come back together. We're going to be uh, looking at all the, uh, the different recommendations and make sure that we provide a safe place for us to, to come back and to, to worship together. And so if you have not signed up for our newsletter, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the newsletter so that you can be informed as we roll out this, this re-entry plan and to be able to come back together. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. We've been walking through the book of Luke together. We're in chapter 20, verses 1 through 8 today. In today's text, we're going to see the authority of Jesus challenged and questioned today. And if we're honest, none of us like authority. None of us like to have our lives interfered with. By nature, we rebel against authority. We, we like our freedom. We value our freedom. We value our independence. And especially in this nation, especially when it comes to religion, we value our autonomy. Here in America, we've got a culture that really teaches that our religion ought to be kept private. It's something that's personal. And so you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. But don't you dare mess with my life. Don't you dare interfere with my beliefs. And so if you've been walking through the book of Luke with us, you probably have come to recognize that Jesus interferes with our lives. Often. Uh, Jesus doesn't call his disciples by saying, you know what, you just come when it's convenient. He doesn't say, hey, you just, you, you can give me your leftovers. I'm, I'm okay with that. You can, you can obey when you feel like it. No. When he calls his disciples, he makes it clear, look, if you want to be my disciple, you need to de- deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He demands complete devotion, complete surrender to his authority. You think about sin at its very core is rebellion against a higher authority. And so in our very nature, we we rebel against this. And so I think it's right for us to wrestle with the same question that these religious leaders are asking Jesus. They're coming to Jesus and asking him, okay, by what authority do you do these things? And my hope is that we would come to Jesus and ask about his authority and our hearts would be sincere. Their hearts were not sincere. 
They, they hated Jesus. They, they were devoted to destroying Jesus. And so they asked this question, by what authority do you do these things, Jesus? They're asking that question to try to trap Jesus so that they might destroy him. And so to fully understand this passage, you need to understand some of the context, right? And so this chapter, chapter 20 in Luke, is just days away from Jesus Christ being arrested and taken to the cross. Jesus has come into Jerusalem with his disciples. His disciples uh, usher him into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. They're crying out, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. They're laying down their cloaks in front of him. In fact, it's such a big scene that the Pharisees question Jesus and ask, okay, why are you allowing your disciples to worship you? You should rebuke them, Jesus. And I love Jesus' response here. He, he says to them, look, if they, if they go silent, the rocks will cry out. There's nothing that can stop the worship of God. And so Jesus goes from that to, to weeping in Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem because he knows the city of God that's filled with God's people, the Jews, they've for the most part rejected him and rejected the gospel and they're without hope. And so he prophesies about the, the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And then those tears turn into righteous anger as he goes into the temple and he sees the merchants and the, the money changers and he flips up their tables upside down and their, their chairs upside down, drives them out because they had turned what was supposed to be a service to help people worship into a business to make money. And he cries out and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And so Jesus, he's caused quite a, quite a stir here in Jerusalem. And the tension between him and the religious leaders is at an all-time high. It's kind of like these religious leaders are they're hornets and they've been trapped in like a Mountain Dew can and Jesus comes in and just starts shaking up the can. They're mad as can be. But Jesus, he doesn't hide from them. In fact, he's been teaching in the temple daily and the crowd is hanging on his every word but these religious leaders, they're, they're in the background. They're plotting how they might destroy Jesus. And so, they get together and they come up with this question. And, and I think this question, they probably thought, oh, this is, this is ingenious. We've got them now. This, we're going to finally get rid of this annoying, this disturber of the peace, this guy that just continues to very much interfere with their lives. And so let me pray, and then we're going to dive into this text. Bow with me. Father, we recognize that you... You have the authority to interfere with our lives. And our lives have very much been interfered with, especially as of lately. And I know often we don't like that. And I pray that through your word today, that your spirit would help us submit to your authority. That we would fully embrace the authority of Christ and that it would embolden us and empower us for the mission that you've put us on. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dive into Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who it is that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. 
Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. And so they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so again, Jesus is teaching daily and preaching in the temple. He's preaching what? He's teaching what? He's teaching and preaching the gospel, proclaiming the the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's been his constant message from the very beginning. In John chapter 3, there's a great example of Jesus preaching the gospel. Famous verse, right? He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so this is the message that Jesus has been preaching from the very beginning. This is the message that he's teaching in the temple right now. And so as he's teaching... And he's preaching, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders come up to him. Now, this, this would have been a very intimidating group of people. For most people, if they, they see these people coming towards them, they're going to cower. But, of course, Jesus doesn't do that. This is Caiaphas, the high priest. This is Annas, the, the fa- his father-in-law, who is kind of regarded as the virtual high priest. These are the scribes, the the lawyers, the body of men who interpreted the law of Moses. These are the elders, those who were officially appointed to serve in the the Sanhedrin, the the ruling body of the nation. Okay, so these are the Jewish heads of state underneath the the Roman rule who came to Jesus with this question. If you're in school, this is kind of like the principal, the vice principal, and uh, maybe like a, a respected teacher coming to you to confront you. If you're in a a factory work, and this is like your boss, your boss's boss, and the CEO of the company coming to you to ask you a question and to, to confront you about something. This is a, an intimidating group of people. Most people would cower, but not Jesus. Now, these religious leaders, they've come up with this question that at first glance, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it was very much a trap. And Jesus knew it. They ask, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who it is that gave you this authority. Okay, so Jesus has been acting as a rabbi, a teacher. But he doesn't have any credentials. He was never ordained as a rabbi by another rabbi. He wasn't sanctioned by the Sanhedrin. And and so he doesn't have any of these credentials. So if Jesus answers, I do these things by my own authority, they're going to try to discredit him right there in front of everybody. On the other hand, if Jesus says, I do these things by God's authority, they can accuse him of blasphemy. And so, uh, first of all, what do they mean by these things? Okay, what authority to do these things? Well, they're probably referring to the most recent things that Jesus has done. Okay, he's made a big stir in Jerusalem. He's talk- they're talking about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he's allowing the disciples to worship him. They're talking about when he went and cleansed the temple and drove out the money changers and the, the, the merchants. He's ta- they're talking about just him teaching in the temple and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so to believe in him. And they may have been thinking 
about all of the other times in the ministry of Jesus where he kind of bucks the system, where he, he's healing on the Sabbath day, or he's constantly uh, warning people about the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and these religious leaders and their hypocrisy. And so these religious leaders, they've had enough. They're, they're, they come to Jesus in their, in their minds, they've got all the authority, but they, they ask Jesus, okay, who has given you the authority to do these things? And so Jesus responds by saying, you know what, two can play at this game. In classic rabbi fashion, he answers a question with a question. And the question he asks them is just as tricky. Verse 4, he asks the question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And so John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who was an old school prophet, a prophet that they hadn't seen somebody like this for like 400 years. And he's coming and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's preparing the way for Jesus. John the Baptist, I think, is one of the most interesting characters in all of the Bible. His birth is miraculous, right? His parents are elderly. His father, who's a priest, was visited by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel says this about John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. And so Jesus himself even said this about John. He said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so here's John, living a rugged life, living in the wilderness, wearing camel skin, eating honey and and locusts, and his ministry begins to grow. In fact, we read that people came to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region to come to the Jordan confessing their sins, and then they were baptized in the Jordan River. Now, the baptism of John, this is a new ritual for the Jews, Okay, they had baptism, but not like this. It wasn't, this was a baptism of repentance. And John comes in and, and starts baptizing all of these people. And so Jesus is asking them, who gave John the authority to baptize? It's a tricky question. The religious leaders huddle up, right? And they, they discuss, okay, how are we going to answer them? How are we going to answer Jesus? If we say from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they were convinced that John was a prophet. And so what do they do? They answer the only way they know how. We don't know where he came from or where his authority came from. I mean, John the Baptist's whole life was focused and centered on proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. When John first saw Jesus, he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he made it very clear to everybody who he believed Jesus to be. And so these religious leaders now, they answer the only way they know how. We don't know. Because their fear of man prevented them from being truthful. And their pride prevented them from believing in Jesus and submitting to his authority. And so Jesus answers them. Well, if you don't know, I don't need to tell you an answer to your question either. Once again, Jesus proves that he can't be outfoxed. And so the question remains, what does this mean for us today? Okay, what does this mean for us here in Shepherdsville today in 2020? 
Well, like I said at the very beginning, we don't like other people interfering in our lives. We don't like authority. That's part of our fallen nature. That's at the core of what sin is. It's rebellion against a dis it's disobedience towards a higher authority. And so the problem is that we don't often see that in ourselves. Often we don't see ourselves as rebellious. And unless God opens up our spiritual eyes to see our rebellious nature, we're not going to repent. We're not going to trust in Christ for salvation. And so we need God to open up our eyes to, to, to help us. Now, because what's going to happen is if God doesn't open up our eyes, we're going to act very much like these religious leaders did. And we're either going to completely reject Christ's authority, which is what they're doing, or what often we do, and I think this is more, uh, more applicable to us, we just simply try to ignore his authority. We don't outright deny it, but we just kind of go on like it doesn't exist and we just ignore it. it. Let me give you an illustration. Cam and I, as parents, we, like I think most parents do, we expect our, our kids to listen and obey when we tell them to do something. And, and I would love to tell you that whenever we say something to our kids that they always 100% obey every time, first, first time obedience, <laughs> but that would be a lie. Uh, in fact, our three-year-old Liam it's not unusual for him to just flat out tell us no when we tell him to do something. And that usually doesn't turn out well for him, but we're patient because we know he's three, he's learning. Now, our older children, they, they've learned, and they know better, and they, they've learned not to say outright no to us when we tell them to do something. But uh, instead, it's, it's not that they're any less rebellious. Instead, what they do is they just pretend like they didn't hear us. It's just as rebellious. It's just a nicer way to be rebellious, right? Well, before you start thinking how much better you are than these elders and high priests, these scribes, remember, when we ignore the authority of Jesus, we're still rebelling against it. It might be a nicer way to rebel, but we're just as rebellious. Have you ever taken a moment to really think about and meditate on the extent of the authority of Jesus Christ. I want to take a moment to ponder that right now. Think about this. Jesus is the creator or the author of all things. John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so being the author of all things means that he has authority over all things. Also, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Every atom in the universe, every atom in creation is held together by Jesus Christ. He has authority to sustain our universe. He also has the authority to govern all things. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he showed his authority over disease and over death, 
over nature. He calms the storm. He walks on water. He multiplies food out of nothing. He heals the sick and the lame and the blind. He even raises the dead. He orchestrates the clouds in the sky and the waves in the ocean. Not only that, Jesus rules even over Satan and his demons. Mark 1.27, what is this, a new teaching? They're saying this about Jesus, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Everything Satan did to Job, Satan had to get permission from God. Jesus rules over Satan and his demons. He's ruler over creation. He sustains the universe. He governs all things, even Satan and his demons. And not only that, he governs the kingdoms of this world throughout all of history. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, grace to you and peace from him, talking about Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come. He goes on to say, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, he changes the times and the seasons, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And so Jesus governs all the kingdoms of the earth. He's sovereign even over the sinful acts of men. <clears throat> Excuse me, we read this in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. And this is talking about, this is uh, what happened to Jesus, his death. For truly in the city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He, he's praying to God. He's saying, look, all of this, everything that happened to Jesus was ordained, was planned. Jesus said it this way. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And so everything Jesus went through was ordained, was planned by God. His authority over the sinful acts of men even. And Jesus has, a, has authority to grant eternal life. John 17, 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In his earthly ministry, he showed that he had the authority to forgive sins. In fact, they wanted to stone him because they considered that blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. But Jesus showed that he had the authority to do that. John 5, 27, we read that he has the authority to execute judgment. And then finally, in his resurrection, we see he has the authority over death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so let me sum it up like this. I'm going to quote John Piper. The risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords reigns over this world and over his mission with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside his sovereign will. If he is met with resistance, he either allows it for his purposes or he overcomes it for his purposes. His sovereign purposes are never thwarted. And so we need to respond. We can't just ignore this. 
We can't just continue to ignore his authority. We can either reject it outright like the Pharisees or we can bow down to his his authority and submit our lives to him. I mean, his authority, if we embrace it, it ought to cause us to be willing to run through a wall for Jesus. It ought ought to propel us to give our lives for for the mission that he's put us on. Let Let me end with this. Jesus starts out the Great Commission. And how does he start it out? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, he says. So all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And I'll be with you till the end of the age, right? So the Great Commission then is fully dependent on the authority of Christ. Mission fundamentally begins and ends not with our zeal and our passion for the lost, but with a very clear vision of Christ as Lord. What you do for Jesus is shaped by what you believe about Jesus. And especially when the mission gets tough, we need to be reminded of the truth that the authority of Jesus is our bedrock Right now especially, right now especially, we need, to reminded, we need to be reminded over and over that King Jesus is still on his throne. And the more we come to embrace the authority of Christ, the more willing we're going to be to go and risk our lives for him and endure no matter what happens to us. Think about when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples. This is back in Luke chapter 10. He says to them, go on your way. And this is what he says. I mean, can you imagine this commissioning? I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves, okay? If that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what does, right? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus send them out with no money, No supplies. I don't even want you to wear sandals to protect your feet. It's because he's making a point. He's saying, all you need is the authority that I'm delegating to you. And that's enough. That's all you need. Jesus does not send us on this mission with nothing and say, good luck. He sends us with his authority. The same authority that created the universe, that sustains the universe, that... that, brought him to the cross, and raised him from the grave. There's power there. This is why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus commissions his disciples, he says, go and be witnesses. And what, did, what does he say? He doesn't say, good luck. He says, I'm going to send the Spirit to empower you, to go to the ends of the earth. And remember when the 72 disciples came back. How did they come back? They came back rejoicing. And they said, said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus gave them like a drop of his authority. And even the demons listened to him. He sends us with everything we need to accomplish his mission. He sends us with his authority. This is why the church cannot fail. This is why we can trust that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And listen, the more we abide in Christ through prayer and through reading and studying and memorizing and meditating His Word, the more we abide in Christ and fellowshipping with other believers, the more confidence we're going to have 
and His authority. And this confidence will propel us to pray with a, with a confidence that Jesus Christ will do what He said He would do, that He will raise up laborers for the harvest to seek and to save the lost. And so we should pray with great confidence that Jesus will fulfill His promises. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. There is nothing that can stop this this mission. This confidence should also propel us to go, to go and to share the gospel even among the hardest to reach people because there is nothing too hard for God. He sends us out back by his authority. His mission cannot fail. And so I want to pray that God would give us that confidence that he would help us to embrace his authority, that we would submit to it, and that we would be propelled out by it. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for reminding us through your word of the power and the authority of Christ. And I pray that it would cause us to turn from our sins and that we would surrender fully to what you've called us to, that it would propel us out on mission and that we would have the confidence knowing that you've given us the authority to be your children and so we go out as children of the King proclaiming the authority of your word and your grace. Father, give us a boldness to go out and a clarity to proclaim your gospel. In Jesus' name.